Hello, and welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. This show is part two of our two-part series with Tara Hernandez, Senior Engineering Manager at Google, Women Who Code board member, and the creator of the Women Who Code podcast. We hope you enjoy it, and if you do, please subscribe, rate, and comment. You've had this incredible career, and you are now at Google. Um, Google's one of those. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, Google's one of those dream tech companies to work for, and um, for for a lot of people, it seems almost unreachable. Uh, how has working at Google been instrumental to your career so far? And and what would you like people to know about that? Well, first and foremost, I want everybody to remember the first thing I said about when I became a computer science major, I was a terrible student and I barely graduated. And yet I'm working at Google. Um, I will admit the first time I talked to Google was in the early 2000s and they were like, yeah, go away kid. Um, Your grades are terrible because that's what Google was doing back then. Um, But, you know, I was hired on the basis of my experience um, on on what I knew and what uh, there was a VP at the time, Melody McFessel, another amazing woman I went to Google to work with her. Um, There's still, unfortunately, even these days, not a ton of women who are VPs of engineering. So that was kind of a cool, cool opportunity. Um, Once I got there, it was it was pretty shocking. I mean, my last company was 224 people. My first day at Google was orientation. There was 350 people in a room. And that was just that day's new Google employees at one of multiple orientations. Right? There was also one in New York, and I suspect there was one somewhere in APAC, possibly one in the Maya, right? So there's probably over a thousand people around the world joining Google on that day. That's how big Google is. Um, I think if there were two things that are really uh, awesome about Google for anyone, to, to consider. One, it's lucrative. It's a big company and they afford to pay well. Let's not, let's not shy away from that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you've got student loans, you know, go, go work for a big company. Um, but even beyond that, the opportunities. Uh, Google has a really sometimes frustrating culture because it is so driven on the idea of ideas can come from anywhere. Um, that can lead to chaos and often does, but that's okay in, in Google speak because Crazy ideas can lead to amazing outcomes. Yeah, we always point at Gmail uh, as a great example of that. Gmail was somebody's idea, not an executive. At least I don't, I don't remember the story being that. It was like, hey, we've got this capacity. Uh, of, you know, what, what interesting things can we do with it? Oh, well, let's have a webmail, right? And at the time, uh, webmail was still the province uh, of commercial companies. There was Hotmail. There was, um, gosh, help me out here. There was, I, I'm, I'm blocking. It's been so long. So here's like Gmail, it's free. Uh, you can just use it. Like, wow, okay. And I remember when I got my first invite um, and uh, oh, this is kind of cool. And it, and I loved it because it was based on a browser, right? So my old Netscape uh, 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 biases of not having something tied to an operating system. It's like, it's a web browser, it runs anywhere. Here, I can get my email from anywhere. And it was so cool. And now it's, now it's one of the top used pieces of software in the world, it's still free. It makes tons of money for Google naturally, because you know, ads and stuff like that. That's how Google's able to support that stuff. Um, and that just came out of the idea of some engineers. There's other been other things as well. And it's and the and the mobility within Google um, is another really, I think, critical thing. Sometimes that's that can be tough if uh, 
engineers can vote with their feet or employees can vote with their feet in a lot of ways. It's like this project isn't interesting. Maybe I don't like my manager. I'm going to go over here and do this other thing. That's considered completely okay. Um, and it really, you know, if we talk about checks and balances, if you have engineers that are voting with their feet, then as a leadership team, then it behooves you to really like, hey, how do we how do we sell this not just to the market, right? But to the smart engineers we want to work on this. You know, how do we how do we show that this is important work to do, that it's going to have value, that it's going to resonate, um, to create uh, a, a strong engagement. So it's it's unusual. I've never experienced anything like it in, in, in 30 years um, than what it's like to be at Google. It's, it's a trip. Um, and I think one of my favorite things about Google is because Google's hiring process is so tough, uh, well, maybe not because of, but certainly it, it doesn't hurt. Um, the quality of, of people who, not to say that they're smarter, though everybody I met at Google is insanely smart, but sort of resilient, right? You have to, it's hard to get a job at Google. So the resiliency, and so they're, uh, yeah, most of the Googlers that I work with, they're like, all right, this is terrible. Oh my God. Uh, okay, well, how do we fix it, right? And it's just that sense of we're Google, we figure it out. Um, so there's a, a community approach um, that I really appreciate. And right now, um, I'm trying to, to do something that it took a long time, but finally getting to, um, to the point where we're able to make some subtle changes and introduce pilot programs on how we do uh, recruiting and retention that has a more inclusive focus in ways that the lawyers don't get nervous about. Because one of the things that you learn as a manager is even if you have a strong commitment to diversity and inclusion, you have to be very careful how you approach it because of labor law, right? I can't go hey, Joey, uh, are you a lesbian? Because if you're a lesbian, I want to make sure that you have pride off, right? I mean, I could say that with the best of intentions and man, would that be illegal, right? So it's uh, so the fact that, you know, Google's like, hey, all right, you, you want to try doing some of these things, let's keep you legal and let's try it. And so even though it's an enormous company that sometimes feels kind of scary due to its size, um, the opportunity for innovation within that environment never stops. Wow. Um, so you're in this position of you're surrounded by people who figure things out. You have an, just enormous resources as an entity. Um, what's next? What's next for tech? What should we be focusing on? Uh, what do we do with all of those lessons that have been pulled forward? I, I probably have unpopular opinions about this. Um, a lot of what I see around me now uh, resonates um, with a book that I read when I was much younger. It's a great book. It's called The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. Um, he's a, he and William Gibson are, are probably some of the more well-known sort of futurists uh, in the internet space. A lot of what they, they started writing about back in the day. Um, it definitely has come to pass uh, in, in interesting ways. And, and in the Diamond Age, um, the characters are in a world that is feels sort of reminiscent that if you are lower class, you can get what you, you can get basic food. No one starves, but everything that you have access to is, is absolutely covered in advertising. Um, and you are basically a, a courier um, uh, by using the chopsticks or the paper or the whatever the object is. Um, and, you know, it's not hard to look around and look at social media 
as one example, or a lot of technologies where it's like you, we, we as a consumer expect to be able to use these things for free without recognizing the cost we're actually paying, which is a, a foundation of a significant amount of how the internet works, which is ad revenue, which is user data driven. Um, Apple uh, recently enacted some, some privacy changes that allow people to opt out, which, and then another company, I think it was Snap, said that they missed their revenue targets when they when they made their quarterly announcements because so many people had turned off tracking for the Snapchat. It's like, and they were appalled that this was possible and, and failed to complete the loop of, do you understand that your revenue is based on invading people's privacy, right? And that if you give them the choice, they don't want to pay for it. So what is what does that look like, right? Um, people have tried to say, well, if the problem is ads and and and, and social media and other similar forums basically monetizing the knowledge about you, are you willing to pay for it? Well, in my case, yes, I would be willing to pay for it. Um, I think others would be as well, but there's a critical mass that needs to happen. There's a mental shift that needs to happen. And that's the thing I'm wondering whether or not it can happen and will it happen? Because it's not just about, okay, well, there is a, a body of people who are aware of this as an issue and who have the financial needs to say, oh, sure, I'll pay for a social media that everyone else is going to be on it. We can all pay for it together. But then let's go back to the idea of accessibility. The idea that we still yet to have, have equitably delivered techno technology into the hands of everyone who should have it. Are they willing to pay? Are they even able to pay? What does too much, right? And so if I wasn't a historian, I'd, I'd want to be a technical ethicist, except I do not have the brain for that and I would not succeed. But it's the type of problem that I think tech will need to address at some point in a very real way, because the problems are getting much more complex. Right? It's not, it's, it was before it's like, okay, well, does, does tech give the government access to your, your cell phone data without a subpoena? Okay, that's a pretty straightforward thing. Does tech build in a backdoor? Well, okay, does, does the regulatory body say that they must build backdoor? Okay, well, we can talk about that. But these other things, these nuances of what does it actually mean to have revenue? Is do we continue to consider it to be a valid way for for companies to make money? I, you know, I I have to wonder if if that is something that can sustain, right? And I, you know, I work at Google, right? Google makes a lot of money from ads, so it's it's I don't I sort of feel hypocritical in a way, um, but I work in cloud, <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, you know, it's, it, I, I don't know that there's ever going to be an easy answer, I think is, is the right thing. So can we keep talking about it? Can we keep refining it? Can we keep educating ourselves and, and influencing as we are able, as we get older, as we move into positions of leadership, right? You know, what can we do to drive tech forward in, in positive ways? Um, one of the things that you are a big champion of is bringing more people to the table. Uh, you're, you talk a lot about equity and what that means and um, the gaps. I think you're, you're very straightforward about the gaps that exist in that. And um, I'm wondering if you have ideas about how we can build a roadmap to bring more people in to think about these problems so that we have more um, diverse perspectives and voices trying to solve for some of these things. I think there's a lot of ways to approach this. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go sideways slightly um, and talk about I'm going to talk about a management problem, which is recruitment pipeline. Right. Um, so if you think about how companies have historically, any company, 
um, not just tech, but but tech certainly adopted this uh, at least initially. It's like, all right, you got a company, you got a recruitment budget, where are you going to go? Well, if you're in the Bay Area, you're going to go to Berkeley and Stanford, right? Um, if you maybe have not quite as much budget, you might go to San Jose State or San Francisco State or UC Santa Cruz, Mile Water, whatever. If you're on the East Coast, you want to go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or CMU, et cetera. And that's fine. Um, but it represents a very small percentage of the overall population. So if we want to talk about how do we engage the population, both from a customer standpoint, because here's a huge population of potential customers, but also an employee's pipeline standpoint, how else can we think about it? And I, I will say right off the bat to anyone who asks, I love boot campers. Um, and I love them for a variety of reasons. The biggest one being that they are often re-entry, like they, you know, they went off to school or maybe not, um, but they did other things and they gained life experiences that were not completely contained within the tech bubble. Um, and in fact, there was, a, I think the last podcast that I did was talking to a couple of bootcamp graduates who both came from music backgrounds, right? And this is important because they're bringing that experience to the table in the discussion. And the more that we can do that, the more we're bringing in a wider breadth of people who are smart and innovative and motivated and ambitious and have ideas that can be amazing, but that did not have the opportunity or maybe even the interest of going to Berkeley or Stanford or CMU or Harvard or whatever, but represent huge swaths of the population that would totally get what they did, that would totally understand that, that of course you would work at kind of a stupid day job because you wanted to be a professional musician and you were dedicating your life to that and you did it and you did it for a while and now you're done because you're getting, maybe you're getting a little older and those late nights at the bars aren't as fun as they used to be, right? Or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and those people who started developing, you know, they got a phone and they kind of watched some YouTube videos or whatever it is they did on the internet and taught themselves how to code, you know, and now bringing products to market. That's the kind of stuff that is, how can we continue to build and enable and amaze? Um, and that's, I think, from where I sit, the only way, the more that we can support that as an industry, the more that we can recognize that that value is there and exists and that we would be idiots <laughs> to not take advantage of, uh, the more that that then enables people to, to think of tech as not just this abstract thing that might be slightly oppressive or scary, but as the, a platform for themselves to engage, right? So, and even I, let me give a shout out to Google. You know, the organization that I'm in at Google has a, a tremendous record of hiring bootcamp graduates um, and they are amazing employees and I adore them. I also adore my Harvard grads, don't get me wrong, but I like having them both. Yeah, I love that, uh, especially coming from a place like Atlanta where I kind of cut my teeth professionally. It's a gritty city. Uh, we're also a city of doers and, and, and figuring it out kind of people. I love that notion of bring more of those people in. And, and, and tech is starting to recognize that too, that there are places like Atlanta and Raleigh and other areas that you don't necessarily think of as tech hubs. And they are in, in the communities that are there are not the communities. They don't look the same or think the same or act the same as communities in Silicon Valley. Right, and that is beautiful and it's amazing. So, and Google is now hiring in Atlanta in case anyone's looking for a job. Awesome, I love that. I have really been inspired by this conversation. I really appreciate you sharing all of your insights. 
Um, I love to wrap up with a pro tip uh, so that, you know, people who might be listening to this and wondering how they can approach their career, how they can um, create staying power, uh, get over the hurdle of any immediate challenges that might be right in front of them or level up. Um, any pro tips that you have for uh, women in tech today? What would you tell them? Um, well, I, I will tell you what I, I tell many people, which is when you're just getting started and you're doing the boot camp, um, figure out your networking strategy. Being in tech is like in any other industry, who you know is can be as helpful as what you know, uh, which is one of the things I love about women who code, to be frank, and why I have, I have uh, been been part of this community for so long because as a networking opportunity, it is enormous. Um, there are others as well, and who says you have to pick one, right? Um, and then the other one, the one that can be tougher, is getting that getting that experience and coming back around to the thing I love so much about tech, the balance of power and open source versus commercial. If you can't get the job right away, find an open source project to work on. Um, there are thousands of them. Um, make sure it has a code of conduct. Make sure that ideally that it belongs to a foundation so that there would be enforcement. You know, don't don't join a, a project where you're just going to get picked on. Um, but it is a very valid way of building up a, a, a portfolio that companies look at. You know, if someone puts their GitHub repo or their GitLab repo, you know, on their resume. I will look at it as one of those hiring managers. So it is a way to build experience without, even if you don't get that first job right away, right? And that's the way that, again. The way that the industry works, the way that technology works is it enables us in ways that aren't unusual. Like imagine trying to get an open source job in manufacturing. Well, these days with makerspaces, it's a little easier, but still expensive because it's materials. Um, but you can pay for a compute resources on a cloud vendor by the second, which you know could be pennies a day. Um, and so there's nothing that should inhibit you from growing yourself, growing your CV portfolio. Um, and then while you're doing that, you know, make sure you're in your local Women Who Code network or whatever the convenient uh, uh, communities are around you and start meeting people. And that's the only way to make it work. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, um, for, for spending this time with us. Uh, and thanks for sharing all of your wisdom and insights with the community. And thank you for starting this podcast so that we can be here <laughs> having this conversation. <laughs> awesome. It's a little surreal, but I'm very pleased, oh, as always, to be here. Excellent. Um, hopefully we'll see you back here again. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening and remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.